Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka, and this is the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news, broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast, and feel free to get in touch with us via the Triple R website or Bite Into It's Facebook or Twitter accounts. We're Bite Into It. We're super happy to be with you tonight. Um, it's very autumn in Melbourne, and uh, I always enjoy radio at this time of year somewhere indoors, uh, somewhere nice and warm, and talking about fun stuff. Um, Yeah, we're going to be chatting tonight especially about uh, climate and climate tech, um, which we talk about sometimes, but um, we're very lucky to to kind of go a bit deeper into it um, tonight. Um, We're going to be having a chat about uh, sustainable tech uh, with Jason Moore, uh, who um, you may or may not know uh, if you've been listening to Triple R for a few years. Um, Yeah, he's been doing, I guess, a carbon challenge, uh, I Do What I Can, and he's going to kind of break it down for us um, in just a few minutes on the show. And we're also going to be having a chat with uh, Olympia uh, Yaga, uh, who's the um, CEO and founder of GoTerra. Um, which are an interesting uh, climate tech business um, working in uh, food waste. And I do have to call this out. If you're interested in the idea of uh, robots managing rigs of maggots, you do have to stick around for the rest of the show, unfortunately. Um, that is our ear bait that I'm laying for you. Um, but, yeah, Olympia will be around in, uh, in, in a few minutes anyway to, to have a chat about that. But before those things, there is a, a bit of interesting news. Um, so, yeah, Etsy um, never really went away, always good for stuff, but they've been doing something um, that you want to talk about, Laura. Yeah, well, Etsy um, was originally a B Corp for a number of years until, um, I think, 2018, and they dropped their B Corp certification and um, went on to record record profits in 2020 and 2021. And on top of those record profits, they've decided to jack up their fees for their small um, independent producers, the creatives who make all the cute little cat pins and adorable paraphernalia that you can buy on Etsy. Um, So right now there is actually a store strike and a number of vendors, um, over 20,000 in fact, have put their shops into vacation mode to protest these fees. Um, It doesn't sound like it's that much. They're changing the fees from 5% to 6.5%. But that is a 30% increase. And when you're talking about small sellers for whom the profit of margin is extremely low already, these kinds of fee increases are really, really like painful. And if you compare it to other kinds of online platforms, this is a really high fee. Like most platforms you would expect to see, uh, you know, that would be a reseller market, you might think about more like a 2 or 3% fee. So they're already like quite high and then they've jacked them up a bit more. And yeah, the result is that a lot of um, sellers are joining a strike and organizing via Reddit. Um, and they're basically trying to um, bring this to Etsy's attention and get them to uh, backtrack the decision. Um, it, it seems like Etsy is digging in. Uh, um, they sent a letter to Etsy's chief executive, Josh Silverman, um, and called this move nothing short of profit, uh, sorry, pandemic profiteering, which is, I think, a pretty strong statement, and they've failed to respond to that. Um, speaking to The Guardian, they did say, we've given people multiple options for how to participate depending on their financial situation, which sounds like corporate speak for, we want your money and we're going to take it, um, <laughs> to me. Um, so yeah, this is, this is kind of sad, and obviously there's not very many platforms that have the right amount of traffic and visibility for these small sellers. And as I'm sure you know, these kinds of platforms benefit strongly from network effects. So you can't Mm. just go put your product up on some random website. You're never going to see the same amount of traffic as you would hosted on Mm. Etsy. So there's a a strong, um, you know, inertia keeping you there, even if you're not sort of completely happy with the circumstances you have to sell under. 
Yeah. So disappointing. Mm. Nasty monsters kind of sitting in the commons, places that we used to do stuff, and they're like, this is how it is now. Did, I'm, I'm curious, did, did something happen? Was there an acquisition or a sale, or, or why did they kind of like change their tune? Does it, do we That's know? a great question. I don't I, – I think maybe they oh, – oh, so, Ro, you know. Yeah, they, um, they always had a really strict entry point of being it's got to be handmade or you've got to assemble it yourself. It had a really big craft element to it, and um, they essentially lifted that which meant that um, a lot of retailers like Alibaba, Wish, all of that kind of stuff could go on the platform. So it was very much a really rapid and distinct shift away from their core business into let's just flood it. So Mm. when you used to do a search, you'd be like, oh, I want some cool custom printed stockings. Mm. You'd find... Great results. Now you're getting the same stuff you can, you know, get get at the big box shop down the road or on Alibaba. And so that was where that huge change came from. And it's just another really yeah. revolting step away from a really successful, delightful core of the business. Kind of feels like you're yeah. stepping away from the top of where you're at, which was mm. we've got a great sort of double-sided craft network into we're now at the bottom of a pile of a really nasty kind of... You know, race to the bottom. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, we're, we're now at the bottom of the pile with Amazon yeah. and Alibaba and all these other kind of people. Yeah. What I was trying to remember when I found it on Vox is that there was actually a major management shakeup around 2017, which is also when they dropped their B certification. So they ousted the CEO. I think they um, they laid off about seven percent of their staff, and they obviously like had a major rethink about what their business model was and how they yeah. wanted to operate. So I'm kind um, of picturing the board meeting with like a Tim Rice type pirate character, <laughs> kind of like aha. <laughs> 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 Handmade tricorn hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah, but certainly it's it's sad to see a platform that was originally you know quite successful for people who just wanted to run a small business, make a living, but not make you know a killing. Mm. <laughs> Which I think are two funny concepts: making a living versus making a killing. Really, <laughs> when you think about yeah. the context of neoliberal <laughs> capitalism, yeah, guillotines. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Anyway, there's more news to talk about. What else is happening in the world, Rue? Well, speaking of massive aggregates, (laughs) so I wanted to have a little bit of a chat tonight about a a word that we might not yet be familiar with in Australia, but we're probably about to be. It's called Plex. Oh, and I was plexing over here. That's how I got here. Didn't you just plex your way in? Plex your way in. It's like holograms. I am perplexed. Very (laughs) perplexed. So Plex is essentially a library for all things streaming. And yes, you can use it in Australia. So if you're wrangling Netflix, Amazon Prime, Disney Plus, Stan Binge, you know, chasing all the really cool shows, um, what Plex does is it organises your video files, your audio files, your photo files, plus your streaming services and basically serves serves it up to you in one dashboard so that you can flip in between it. From what I've had a look at, it looks like a pretty cute interface, apparently good searchability, all of those kinds of things. Um, And you can actually use an absolute stack of services on Flex for free or go premium with um, Plex Plus. Blah! I knew I was going to do that. Mm. Plex Pass for around $6.50 a month. Um, Now, it doesn't look like it replaces a lot of those subscriptions. So if you're still dropping your $10 or $15 or whatever on your various subscriptions and ending up spending $150 a month on them, yeah, you're still going to do that from the looks of things. But um, it's going to make it a bit easier to search and manage, which is an interesting one. So this is like the one ring to rule all your TV shows. That's what I'm hearing. I love that. (laughs) Have you had the experience on um, uh, iTunes or Apple TV where you're looking for something and they just shoot your actual place where you can watch it for free? 
I've been kicked out to SBS, for example, because I've, I've got Ooh, the app there. And they're yeah. like, you could watch it here. Why don't you just watch it there? Yeah. And I've never kind of dug into it, but it's like that's the one ring kind of mentality of like we're just going to give you the best result, which also includes, you know, we sell you lots of stuff as well. Yeah. So there'll be like the, the mix of the free and the paid results yeah. like in that list. Yeah, I've seen that too. I've been a little bit curious about how that works with licensing because I've seen that inside like the Apple TV sort of ecosystem where you're searching for something and yeah, you, you can get kicked out to ABC News or you can get kicked out to SBS or you can stay yeah. inside and watch. Um, uh, you can watch uh, Severance, which is what I just finished binging. Mm. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's a similar model, but maybe Plex is trying to be a little bit more holistic and sort of gobble up all the services possible. I'm getting um, strong flip flipboard vibes from mm. when iPads came out and flipboard oh, was like super yes. fun. Like, Here it is all in one place, perfect for this kind of device. Hmm. Anyway. Interesting. Those were the days. Um, what about NBN? Oh, NBN, gosh. I mean, <clears throat> so we're, obviously we've entered the election countdown race, so I'm sorry to say, listeners, <laughs> we're going to be talking about some of this stuff. Mm. Um, but uh, Labor and the Coalition plans have been released in the lead-up to the election, um, and basically both of them are focused on um, increasing NBN services in regional Australia. So some, some of them have been, you know, reliant on, you know, hubs and crappy satellites and things like that, and they've both committed reasonably similarly to doing some really big upgrades. Um, but we will say that um, the documented Labor policy is superior to that of the Coalition. So essentially what they plan to do is upgrade NBN speeds and access to 80% of the 7.1 million Australians living in regional remote areas. Now, currently this is only 33%. So ratcheting that access from 33 to 80% of regional and remote people is absolutely huge. Um and also currently the both policies of both parties, the NBN would remain within government ownership. Um, so I guess the, the main thing is, is that um, while we know that the NBN suffered from changes and roll out, rollbacks and things like that before it even got released, and we've obviously been paying for that, you know, for the last nine years or so, um, you know, it doesn't bode too well in terms of the glacial pace the government has been upgrading and fixing and all that kind of stuff. I was actually putting this news item together thinking, good Lord, this could be a full hour show unpicking, you know, where this is sitting at. Um, but, you know, both of very, both parties are focused on regional and remote and Labor's seems a bit more ambitious. So, yeah. I mean, look, anything to help bridge this digital divide that we currently mm. have, like we really have a, a sort of land of like what you might think of as haves and have nots when it comes to regional um, internet access. And as we know in the, in the, landscape of remote work and everything like you don't want only your wealthy cute like touristy suburb towns to mm -hmm. make it possible for people to go and live there and work remotely um so yeah it's it, it's it does feel a bit too little too late but i am glad to hear that especially labor is focusing on getting that regional coverage improved yeah. i mean i'm already seeing in my neighborhood in inner melbourne like just constant stress on our fiber to the curb and i'm i think like honestly the entire network needs updating fiber to the node as it was supposed to be or sorry fiber to the home as it was supposed mm -hmm. to be as initially initially imagined um and I'm I'm honestly quite worried that that's going to continue to grade, and then it might get to the point where I can no longer work successfully from my job in Germany because I don't have sufficient access, and I'm going to have to find a better suburb that will give me better access. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I get you know major outages to the point that they document it and say you might not be able to get any internet for the next eight hours, probably weekly 
at this point in time oh. and it's been going on for a couple of months. Gosh, really, that's rough. Really. And, and it's just like, well, let's just take a chance. I might end up sitting in the Maccas um, <laughs> using their free Wi-Fi <laughs> and stretching out that hash brown. <laughs> Um, Tethering ahoy. Speaking about being mad as hell, um, I'm going to kind of just extend that to um, surge pricing, which um, we've we've talked about a few times uh, on the show over the years. Um, uh, If you know, overnight there was a a shooting um, and some drama down at the uh, train station uh, in Brooklyn or in New York. Um, I haven't been following the story too closely during the day, so forgive me that. But um, again, um, uh, Uber and other services were called out for um, running surge pricing and not being sensitive to uh, a disaster kind of context in a local area. Um, so I had a bit of a look into it. Um, yeah, there were um, pretty quickly some tweets from people saying, hey, um, can't you see what's going on? People are scared. They just need to get home. They can't get home through their usual ways. Can anybody help? Um, I've picked up a piece from uh, Yahoo about... Um, the kind of ongoing saga here about things happen. Everybody knows things are happening, but how quickly you're responding to it. Um, and there's uh, that good piece in, in Yahoo, which I'm happy to tweet out about the kind of balance between um, we know something's happening here, but it's not worth us doing anything about it until there's a brouhaha. And when there is a brouhaha, we get maximum benefit from responding to it. So I, I don't know. I'm just going to speculate here, but I feel like there's this kind of sensitive machine where there the bunch of people sitting around going, "How much can we make out of this for an hour or two to the point where people say this is outrageous, which doesn't get into most of the population. Like America's 250 billion people, right? New York's 20 million people. A couple of million people complaining about something. Maybe a, a few people here on Twitter. It doesn't make a national conversation. So they reach a point where it's good enough where they go, "I tell you what." Um, there's a few stragglers trying to get home. You can ride for free or drivers do something about it. But um, I don't know. I might be wrong there. Mm. I'd invite anyone from any of those companies to come on and explain how they manage search pricing. Um, in the comments thread, there were people talking about it's a blind algorithm. It doesn't know that there's a shooter on the loose. Um, it's just cars, numbers, people, trips, etc. But the service is run by people who are also sitting there watching CNN and Fox News going, isn't this awful? It's I, I don't take that as true. Um, you can intervene in algorithms. Mm. You can make quick changes in services. Just, mention, just as you do when you see a PR opportunity, you yeah. can act quickly when you want to. Yeah, and we see them acting quickly when it benefits them. So that's that's. I think your cynicism is fully warranted, to be frank. Um, and yeah, my, my view is there shouldn't be unlimited surging anyway that just feels like profiteering to me i mean to the circle back to the initial point of this call of this um this like news section um the idea that you can just like unlimited surge and that it it would not in some way relate to some kind of disaster in the world feels completely wrongheaded to me like you wouldn't be seeing surging like that unless you know there's been a natural disaster there's been a shooting there's been some kind of catastrophe and people are like desperate to get out of there yeah. um so i think like there's a really obvious solution which is cap surging and also have alerts to your staff when surging kicks off mm. that's a very simple automation i will write it for you <laughs> pay me to do it not kidding like these are solvable problems. Yeah. Um, and they have people on staff 24-7. They have support that will respond very quickly. So you can't, you know, we, we know that they have teams who, like, are constantly monitoring their service. So this is not a situation where you set it and forget it. No big platform is. Mm. Melbourne's own Triple R. 
we are very excited to have uh, a, a name and a face that uh, you might know quite well um, if you've been listening to the, the station over the years. Um, Jason Moore has popped up <laughs> here and there in, in many places, even run around on the footy field a bit, which he might do again this year. Um, but mostly he, he hosts Local Land or General on a Monday night. But he's here to talk about something different tonight, um, being our climate show. Um, <laughs> so you've been up to something different. What have you been doing with yourself? Um, well, first of all, huge honour to come on to Bite Into It. What um, I can't, I'm pinching myself. Um, thank you so much for having me. Um, so yeah, basically, usually my life is uh, in live music, managing bands, booking venues, putting on events, those kinds of things. Pretty tricky to do that kind of stuff over the last couple of years. So um, very luckily. There was a course, it was a free course that came up through Utah's. It was kind of uh, for creatives to, yeah, I guess to give them something to do, stop them from going crazy over the last couple of years. Uh, the course was Sustainable Living. And, um, yeah, it was amazing. So, basically, it was just an online course. And, yeah, Were, were you kind of, like, doing it already? Were you like, i got a lot of time now. I'm going to grow a lot of tomatoes. And then I'm going to do some <laughs> corn. And where do I get my water from? And, oh, hey, I've just bought a course. And, like, what was it like? Oh, well, I'd kind of started. Actually, Eliza Herbert, who's um, also involved at Triple R, kind of had been bouncing ideas about, yeah, we're in a pickle. How do we get out of this pickle? And then... Um, yeah, this course came up and I thought, oh, let's do this. This is kind of the perfect thing. So, yeah, it was there was like classes like politics class, communicating for climate change, how to um yeah, how to do your backyard so it absorbs carbon. Lots of um different classes and yeah, it was yeah, even like chemistry classes, really amazing. Whoa. And I'm very grateful to uh Utah's for that opportunity. Um so yeah, I kind of did the course and I thought this is amazing information. I need to put it in a format that I can um, share it around with everybody. And kind of came up with uh, the I Do What I Can Carbon Challenge. It's basically the, the five biggest impacting actions that you can take to uh, dramatically reduce your carbon footprint. So these actions only take 15, maybe half an hour. 15 minutes, half an hour of your week and kind of set it up so that you can chip away at one each week and um, gradually you'll uh, kind of almost get your um, – you, you'll knock a massive chunk of your, your carbon footprint out. So it's kind of like uh, we're not talking about like we're all quitting our jobs and becoming oyster farmers in a kind of like recycled water situation. It's not kind of, you know, radically changing your life here. It's like these are the simple, easy, high-impact things that you can do straight away. And if you want to do more, of course you can. Yeah, yeah. Is that right? Absolutely. You hit the cool. nail on the head there. So, yeah, they're, they're really super easy. And, yeah, the one thing um, that – kind of comes across with the climate discussion is sometimes it feels like a self-sacrifice um, but actually there's so many like it's just stupid the benefits that um, are involved with um, yeah doing your little bit the rewards are ridiculous we were just saying off air that especially in Australia it's kind of crazy that we're we're not really taking advantage of um all of these amazing opportunities. What was kind of like your biggest kind of epiphany when you're kind of doing this? And uh, I think the biggest one was, um, so, yeah, I guess a lot of people, or, um, I guess um, a plant-based diet is a big thing for lots of people and it definitely is a high-impact um, 
measure that you can take. Cheese is, cheese is number three in the world. It's like the worst kind of thing that you can do. I, I loved. How am I going to give up cheese? Tracy? Well, I, up cheese. I um, <laughs> well, I, I guess um, I started using the plant based diet as a yardstick, mm. and there actually are some other actions that have way bigger impacts than any plant based diet. Um, yeah, maybe maybe I'll go through a few of the challenges. Do it. So there, there's five challenges that I've kind of come up with. Um, one is superannuation, two is your home energy, three, a regulatarian diet. So uh, that one does allow for cheese, actually. I sent another T-shirt. Yeah, <laughs> like, we're just calling out T-shirts tonight. This is uh, number four is uh, your travel, and number five is voting, which, uh, of course, includes elections, but also mm. how you spend your money. Um, so, yeah, maybe uh, challenge number one, superannuation. This is crazy. Are you ready? This can be 21 times more effective than eating a plant-based diet. So, and that's based off UK figures. So if I want to procrastinate about the plant-based diet, <laughs> this is a good place to start. This is a good place to start. So, Sorry. yeah, this that, that figure is based off UK figures and Australians have a smaller population and way more um, savings in superannuation. So it's probably more effective than 21 times. Um, What what should we do? Like, what's the super thing? So basically, um, there's two kind of fine... So just moving your super um, is really effective, um, but we want this to be a benefit for you as well. So there's two kind of... um, experts i guess we could say that we've uh, turned to one is the australia institute and they've found that having fossil fuels in your superannuation is a drag so you're <laughs> losing money it's a it's a dead asset it's a dying dead asset um you don't you want to offload that one asap get that out of there so um you'll probably be better off just on that front financially as well um, and then secondly, another uh, turbo expert, the Barefoot Investor, um, recommends balanced index funds, which have low fees and um, I guess automated performance. So we, yeah, we found a, a super fund that has both of those two elements. So you'll yeah, be able to reduce your carbon footprint by a massive amount. Um, and also, yeah, there can be some other... Uh, financial rewards as well. I'm I'm actually emceeing an event about ethical investing next week for Melbourne oh, Conversations. And I'm going to poke your assumptions a little bit here because yeah. I was literally just having a conversation this afternoon with some, some finance experts and we were talking about the challenge of um, these ETFs being these big sort of Cadbury samplers of investment. So you kind of get a little bit of everything, which is sort of the opposite of divesting, right? Like you want, if we're talking about divesting from fossil fuels and not spending money on companies who are investing in new gas mines, new coal mines, you know, new oil drilling, all of that stuff, um, then we don't want a completely diversified and unopinionated investment product. We want one that's like quite specific. Totally. Um, So how do we get the best of both worlds? So, yeah, basically... um I don't know if you saw Bill Gates did a book about how hard it was to divest uh, 100% from um, fossil fuels because everybody kind of has petrol cars or mm. there's mm. fossil fuels in there somewhere pretty much all of the time. So basically we just want to shoot for the, the people that are trying the hardest and basically the people that aren't 
um, kind of out to do damage. So um, a lot of the ethical ones, you're kind of taking out cigarettes, you're taking So out... we're not like deliberately investing in Rio Tinto, for instance? Like... Pretty much. Well, they, you know, a, a lot of these companies still have a, a, a part to play. Um, and as much as, yeah, we, we kind of want to encourage them to move away from fossil fuels. Mm. Um, rather, yeah, we want to dangle a carrot rather than hit them with a stick as much as possible. Um, yeah, I guess another example of that is, um, in the coal regions, um, they, you know, I don't think anybody listens to Loretta, Loretta Lynn and thinks, oh, I want to grow up and be a coal miner. <laughs> um, it sounds like a really poor and long polluting job. Mm. Um, p- people that work in coal mines have played their part to get us to where we are. We actually really, you know, and these people probably haven't had the same education that we've been lucky to have as well. We, we kind of need to help them to find new jobs. Mm. And luckily, we in Australia, we have a huge opportunity. There are so many new jobs that we could um, help them find, help them, help give them a, a new career, a new sense of purpose, help them provide for their families Perhaps in different ways. Perhaps transitioning into um, solar power or wind power. Absolutely. Or other sustainable energies. Yeah, so Australia can generate 700% of its energy. So that means there's 600% to sell overseas. So you, you probably know there's a cable at the moment being built from Darwin to Singapore. And that could potentially stretch from India to New Zealand. So um, we, we kind of have to get in first, though, to make these things happen. Otherwise, these markets go to other people. It's kind of like mm. when Silicon Valley is Silicon Valley because it went turbo on tech early. Mm. And now that's the home. So you've got like five impact areas and you're kind of like doing like challenges and stuff in each of those and yes. you've been getting like feedback or you've there's been like some community engagement going on here with each of these I'd be curious to hear a bit about those but. yeah um I guess the summer a lot of doc well, I've been sending it along to a lot of universities and had lots of um doctors right back with yeah really encouraging um words I think the most encouraging was uh the regulatorian diet I think um yeah, there is definitely a lot of tribalism and it's kind of a, an identifying thing if you eat meat or if you don't. And it's actually very counterproductive um, because it means that people that do eat meat eat way more meat than they should, which actually leads to loads of cancers and it's really, really unhealthy. Um, so, yeah, we've um, tried to take a bit of a middle ground and we've come up with a new word, a regulatarian diet, which is just eating the regular amount of meat that you need um, and, where possible, substituting in planet-friendly meats um, instead of um, things which can be highly polluting, like... Salami. <laughs> Salami is so <laughs> I thought you were going to say highly dangerous. I didn't, I didn't know you were going to say polluting. I was ready to go with a different thing. Um, I'm curious, have you looked at any of these meat alternatives? Like, have you looked at how they sit in the sustainability and sort of eco-friendliness of their production? A lot of, like, and there's new ones coming through all the time. Mm. Um, a lot of them, it's a tricky, I'm not a dietitian. It's, it, totally it sounds fair. like um, it's still a fair bit of way to go mm. to get to the, the place where you get all the nutrients that you need. Mm. Um, I don't know. There's something. Where, where do we set on vat-grown meats? Like, I would be totally into it. If someone wanted to make me a burger from, you know, like a real for real cells, but it didn't ever live, I would be very happy. Ethically, sounds great, plus I get a burger, you know? 
And Love it. Incredibly small carbon footprint. So. And a significantly smaller carbon footprint because you don't have to grow all those organs and skin and fur and all the other bits. Totally. Yeah, yeah so, um, yeah, kind of going for that middle ground while we get to the stage where um, we can get lab-based meats um, and you can still eat your cheese. So. Mm. And you were talking about voting. You said like the voting stuff was really interesting as well. Ex- explain that. So okay, so yeah. this is probably the one of the most exciting things. Um, we do have an election coming up and maybe um, we can just preface this um, by saying, yeah, it's it's a really good time to vote for ideas and not for political parties. Sure. Political parties, they're not football teams mm. or, you know, it's not a marriage. Even people get divorced, you can leave There's marriages. more colours other than red and blue. <laughs> yeah. So really um, these are some amazing ideas that uh, I would um, encourage people to um, get in touch with their local candidates about. So um, Saul Griffiths who is just amazing in the tech world. Um, uh, You might have read The Big Switch, um, Mm -hmm. the new book. Basically, um, Saul's got um, uh, four ideas which are called the low-hanging fruit. Basically, um, Australia... Renewables is the cheapest form of energy in the world, but it's even cheaper in Australia. Um, It's so cheap. Uh, Saul has a meeting with the White House every week, and they often talk about the Australian miracle, which uh, refers to how many solar panels there are in Australia and how renewable it is. So we can definitely get way more um, renewable energy in Australia. Stationary energy, which is um, your all your heating and those kind of things, we can very easily switch that over to be electric. Transport, we can do the same. We already know um, people... Norway's already hit 90% of new car sales are electric. Um, fugitive emissions, we can definitely start switching off gas and stopping fugitive emissions. Um, now, this is the crazy thing. Australian subsidies for fossil fuels are about $10 billion each year. It's like $22,000 a minute, I think. Yeah. Mm. So this is the crazy thing. If we just spent one, maybe two years' worth of those subsidies, we could get every home in Australia to net zero. Holy. So that, that would be like giving uh, houses batteries, solar power, um, their cars would be able to charge, all the heating would be electric. And so. that's, that's purely subsidised. You're saying like if the government just stopped giving $10 billion a year to fossil fuel interests and instead spent that money on building the infrastructure and buying the batteries and getting the grid sorted so it could handle the like yeah. variations in load. And so guess what that would mean for households? Mm. No, note. no petrol, no, <laughs> no energy bills. You save heaps of money. On that note, if you want to do something about this, or if you're curious about this, if Jason's got you converted, where, where can people go? Where can they find out more about this? We've got loads of images and links up on gonefishing2030.org. If uh, you want to hit up the site. We'll tweet that out. Um, sounds awesome. Uh, I'm so stoked for this. And um, yeah, I think uh, if you can do it, we can do it with or without cheese it's um, super easy. anyone can do it it's super easy and the rewards are incredible amazing it is 738 you're listening to bite into it on triple r with ro warren and laura um jace that was right um thanks so much thanks so much for having me you're listening to a triple r podcast discover more podcasts from triple r exploring science technology food books social issues politics and more 
To listen, hit up the Triple R website or your favourite podcast platform. We are now uh, joined on the phone by uh, Olympia, I'm going to get this wrong, but I'll, I'll have a go, uh, Yaja, who is the CEO and founder <laughs> of GoTerra, um, which I will get right. But um, it's an interesting business. Um, climate tech, as I mentioned at the start of the show, is um, something we're interested to hear more about. And um, I did bump into this at a, a climate tech uh, showcase last week, and I thought I have to find out more about this. Um, so, um, yeah, want to get it from the, the horse's mouth. Olympia, thanks for, for coming on the show tonight. Oh, great to be here. Horse mouth and all. <laughs> I'm kind of I'm, I'm trying to get into the agricultural vibe, so I'll, I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> but um, so yeah, GoTerra is um, you, you're doing interesting things in uh, I guess addressing um, uh, the kind of circularity of um, systems and, and and food waste specifically. But what's your, what's your kind of elevator pitch for, for what GoTerra is about? Uh, GoTerra uses autonomous robotic systems to make insects do a job. So our flagship product is a waste management technology that delivers uh, waste man- food waste management as a fee-for-service um, using robotic systems that farm insects. And I'm curious, do, do you have a, do you have, did you have a background in farming before you came to this and you, just, you saw the problem yourself and thought, I can just do something about this? What, tell us about the, the backstory. <laughs> No, I come from an agricultural background, sheep and cattle specifically. Um, so technically I've started farming maggots accidentally on the backs of sheep and now I'm still farming maggots but just in a bucket instead. But, um, yeah, so it's been a long journey to sort of go around in circles. But, um, yeah, it's, it's good to be doing this kind of farming in this kind of way. So tell us, tell us more about what goes into the system and then what's the use of what comes out. Yeah, so it's a piece of infrastructure that um, is modular. So it looks and operates just like a big commercial waste compactor. Um, you put a wheelie bin or of food waste up to it. It picks up the bin, puts it into the system, which grinds all the food waste, um, manages the food waste by <clears throat> getting it ready to be fed, <clears throat> and then moves the in, uh, food waste into the insects and feeds them. Um, and then manages and monitors the insects to make sure they're happy and healthy. And the insects consume that waste every day. And at the end of 12 days, we evacuate the system and we have um, two products. We have the insects themselves, which are a protein that can be fed back to poultry, aquaculture and pets. Or we have, And we have their manure, which is your word of the week, frass. Um, and the frass is high in nitrogen and phosphorus and potassium, which are key ingredients to production of any um, pasture land or crops. So you've taken waste, you've created um, new inputs back to the supply chain to create more food, um, and you've done so in a way that's distributed the capability so that you can access more, more waste in more ways um, and, and basically empower the circular economy. So it's kind of cool, really. Amazing. I'm kind of keen to know um, about some of the um, bloopers or kind of like early efforts at getting this right. I'm, I'm kind of, uh, if, if you're not looking at the brochure as we are, it's kind of, it's a black box. You, you, you're mucking around with a sure. black box. So t- tell us about the first few goes at the black box, like the maggots were not happy, they, they were picky about the food, but, you know, you served them on the wrong day. would be interested to know if you, if you could. Yeah, yeah. We call, we call those early days the maggot emergency 
uh, times. Um, and they still happen every now and again, but not as often as they did in the past. So a hubby maggot is a maggot that just stays where he, you want him so or them. Um, so they um, stay in the box. They don't crawl out of the box. The things that make them crawl out of boxes are high heat, high humidity, um, they or they die because they're too high in heat or they're too low in heat. Um, and so when you first start, there's two things you're trying to solve for. One, the movement of material that is unpredictable and generally full of contamination. And the second one is keeping maggots in a box when there's lots of boxes and lots of maggots. Um, insects run about 10 degrees hotter than their ambient. So if you imagine... Uh, 320 trays sitting in a box <laughs> um, of lava all trying to be 10 degrees hotter than the temperature you'd like to keep them at. They're generating heat, which creates more moisture, which creates maggots not wanting to be in their box, and we end up with maggots on the ceiling. So my favourite story about maggots on the ceiling was just after we closed our seed round um, and I was feeling very swishy and founder-like and I was heading to a coffee shop to talk with my lead investor, Jeremy Kwonglaw. And um, I was just about to walk into the coffee shop and I could see him sitting inside and uh, one of my staff members called and said, and she just said, really, like, deadpan, they're on the ceiling. And I'm like, <laughs> what is? And she's like, all of them, they're all on the ceiling. No. And I'm like, and I'm like, I don't, I don't, uh, and I, I was so, like, talk about imposter syndrome, talk about, like, yeah, literally at, in the window I could see my very shiny investor smiling and waving at me and I'm hearing <laughs> a staff member on the phone tell me that all of the things that we thought were true were not because our maggots were on the ceiling. And so um, a sensor had failed, the humidity got too high and all the maggots just crawled out and they were like literally just on the roof. And so I did what I have become notorious for and just told the truth. So I walked in and Jeremy said, How was, how's your day? And I just opened my phone and showed him the photo and I said, well, it looks like this. And he's like, what is that? And I'm like, that is a class one maggot of SC. And he's like, how do we clean that up? And I'm like, slowly. <laughs> so, it sounds like a, a scene a out of The Shining. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's everything and more. So just like crawling, wriggly things, clean, climbing up slimy groups greasy walls, um, falling with little weird thumps on the ground. Like, it's just it's just sad. So, um, and then that was sort of early when we were figuring out sensors and things. And then some of the biggest stuff that's happened, you know, when we are, you know, fixing and trying to work out materials flow with contamination, um, you know, plumbing, things people put in stupid plumbing um, and making them block has been happening for, what, 500 years? Um, and, of course, being a startup, we're like, we can fix that in five minutes. So, um, you know, my worst blockage has been a sort of 25-pound chuck swipe and chopstick baby that I burst out of a 100-millimetre pipe um, and sort of, you know, carefully dragged it into the world unwillingly. Um, and as I was pulling it out, the three and a half tons of waste that was sitting behind it <laughs> in the hopper also wanted to come with it. Oh. Um, and you can't bring one out without the other, like mm. the two things needed to be together. And so, you know, I'm kneeling down, sort of grimacing and smiling and um, dragging, you know, my baby 
through to the world and um, definitely ended up with quite a large volume of food waste in my lap. So start- um, startups, I did, are I did just, get the baby. Startups are just not all two-pack ice sculptures, it turns out. <laughs> yeah, look, I want my kombucha bar, damn it. And I want, <laughs> I want my swishy, I want my swishy wee work with a ficus. But you're, unfortunately, you're like that's... Cucumber and lemon water and <laughs> beer on tap. Yeah, what? Where did I go wrong? I should have started the choosing maggots. <laughs> I am. I yeah, am really yeah. curious how how you've um, integrated sensors and robotics because it's everything you're describing sounds like a very technology unfriendly environment, right? Lots of humidity, <laughs> lots of waste, lots of contamination. So, I, I imagine you've had to overcome a number of challenges there. Can you tell us a bit more about how you're integrating the tech inside these containers? Yeah, it is hard. And I think, you know, when we first started, we were sort of following a very startup-like uh, path. So we were, you know, lots of mechatronics, lots of robotics, um, looking at, you know, Arduinos and pies. And, like, if there's ever a thing in the world that doesn't like humidity, it's an Arduino or a pie um, and all of the bits that get attached to it. And so – and then we just sort of were like, okay – like, who makes the things that handle hard stuff? Like, who's building industrial stuff? And so we sort of stepped away from that more conventional team makeup, and we actually employ now quite a number of technicians, electricians, fitters, mechanics, people who are used to working on and building and creating and troubleshooting industrial things. And so um, that's why we've sort of been able to find our way in, in creating those things because we've been able to create teams of both engineers and technicians so um, so we can sort of really drive the expertise of both um, and that's, that's where a lot of the successes come from. So um, we use um, a lot of sensors to determine heat, humidity, air quality um, and, and all of the rest and then we use uh, um, sensors for flow, pressure, um, and, and sort of you know, monitoring the health and well-being of everything. Um, and those things are all exist in the world, but how you deploy them for insects is just a little bit different and unique. So, um, But I think it's really important as a founder to sort of articulate the fact that um, sometimes because of startup world so contrived and, and stereotyped, um, you can lose your way a little bit if you try to follow that stereotype. Um, um, I cannot replicate a SaaS platform. There will be no cucumbers in our water. Um, but you know, how do we how do we still deliver innovative tech well? Um, you know, as a startup, you know, it will look different for us. So yeah, just figuring that out took a bit of time. And is is your opportunity sort of just in Australia at the moment, or is there kind of like bigger fish to fry around the world? What, what's kind of I guess in thirty seconds, what's yeah. kind of your immediate future? Yeah, so GoTerra um, cares about three things. So we um, we are here because we, we care about the climate crisis and we believe that it's a fight that needs to be fought. And so, no, we're not Australian, we're global and, and we are moving international uh, internationally and, and those things matter because if we're going to commit to um, managing those things then we have to be in that fight. We measure our success in tons of waste manage and we know that we're good at getting robots to make insects do a job. So we continue to sort of 
strive to do that wherever we are in the world and, and we'll continue to do so, um, keeping our main focus on and mitigating the climate crisis. So. Just, just quickly, if people want to help, if they agree with you there, whether they're a, a, you know, an Aldi supermarket chain or, a, or an investor or whatever, what, what, what could you do with some help right now? Yeah, look, just get in touch. Um, we're hiring right now, so we're growing the team. Um, we're always looking to welcome on new clients who are interested in um, both the environmental and financial benefits of a decentralised waste management infrastructure. Um, and, of course, um, would love to hear from any ambassadors and champions and friends or even people that just think this is really rad and would love to see what it looks like. We'd love to have you come visit. So give us an email, waste at au, and we'd love to get in touch and, and see how we can connect. Uh, Olympia, that's awesome. Um, congrats. And uh, sorry, it was quite messy at the start, but probably worth it. <laughs> oh, good. Have a great day. Triple R. Hey, it's bite into it. Just a couple of minutes left in the show, but we did want to call out uh, something interesting. There is an election on. Um, sausages are a pleasant distraction from that. Ro, what can you tell us about democracy sausage? Democracy sausage is one of my favourite things in the world. It's the best joke in the universe. And for anyone who's on the tweeters and does the good old hashtag, Ozpol will be presented with a magnificent sausage wrapped in a bit of bread as its little icon. So oh. for the next five and a half weeks, enjoy your virtual Twitter democracy sausage. Man, I'm just gonna I'm just gonna tie everything back to Oz politics <laughs> if I can. And snacks. And snacks. Um, interesting. Well, um, I don't know. Should we be doing more climate tech? We we haven't done a climate tech show before, as the three of us. Should we talk about this stuff more? I would love to. I suspect there's more out there to discover, and I suspect that other folks want to hear some good news stories and, you know, hear what's happening and maybe find out things they might be interested in as career pathways or how they can get involved as individuals. Like it's, it's a good time to feel like you've got some power in the world and not just sort of at the, at the mercy of the big, the big corporates and the big government. Hey. Yeah. And there's some really cool creative stuff coming through. Like I was even looking at um, Volkswagen is doing a reboot of their iconic combi van in these red colors and their EVs. And oh, yeah. I actually saw one of them in Punt Road the other day. So there's a test one in the Aussie market at the moment. Wow. Did, did it That's have like cool. the shapes on it? To yeah. Kind of, like, disguise the... No, it didn't have the shapes <laughs> on it, but it was this really cool, like metallic green and very cool. Amazing. Um, thank you very much to our guests uh, for um, putting a smile on our face tonight. Thank you to Jason Moore. Also to uh, CEO and founder of GoTerra, um, Olympia uh, Yaja. Um, thanks to um, both of you and also to our lovely team behind the scenes, uh, Elizabeth McCarthy and podcaster Matthew Hall. Um, we've been bought into it. Have a good night. Hi, this is Vanessa Taholka. Thanks for listening to the podcast of Triple R's Bite Into It, a weekly radio show exploring tech news. Broadcast live on Triple R from Melbourne, Australia, every Wednesday. Hope you enjoy the podcast and feel free to get in touch with us via Triple R's website or Bite Into It's Twitter or Facebook accounts.